Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to uh, turn back to that passage which was just read for us uh, by Ruth. That's 1 Kings chapter 13. And this is going to be the, the chapter of God's Word that we're going to be looking at this morning. But just before we do, let's just pray and ask the Lord for His help as we seek to understand His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that that hymn which we've just sung is so true, that You are almighty, all-powerful, God only wise. We thank You that You are infinite, that You are perfect in all Your ways, that You, you do not change. We thank You that You are holy. We thank you that you are love. We thank you for the reminder of your justice, but also of your goodness and your mercy. Father, we thank you that we know these things are true about you because you've revealed them to us in the pages of Scripture. Father, the reason that the hymn writer could write those truths about you was because they had discovered them from your word. And Father, we, we desire to look at your word now and to learn more about you. And Father, we pray that you might help us as we do that. We know that without the work of your Spirit in our hearts and in our minds, the Bible really is a closed book. Father, we, we need your grace. We need your help. We need the uh, illumination of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray for that this morning. We pray for a, an overflowing measure of, of the illuminating grace that only comes through the work of your Spirit. Father, you know where we are with you. You know whether we are close to you or far from you. You know whether we are trying to pursue holiness or whether we are, are living uh, in rebellion to your word. Father, you know all things. You know, our, you know us better than we know ourselves. And Father, we just pray as we look at your word now that you might shine it on our hearts, that you might change us by your grace and that we might be found loving Jesus more and more as a result of your word preached today. Father, give me the words to say. And Father, for those of us who listen, help us to listen well. Father, we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at this chapter this morning, 1 Kings 13. And we are going to be covering the whole chapter. But it's impossible with such a long chapter to look at everything in detail. And I think sometimes when you've got a, a large portion of Scripture that you're trying to look at in a short amount of time, sometimes it's helpful to have a summary that, that keeps your, your mind focused on the main things as you go through the passage. And if we were to summarize this chapter this morning, what is its main message to you and me, then I think that, that it would be a good summary to say that this chapter is saying to us we must obey God's word. If we were to really boil it down to, to, to one message, it's that. Well, another way we could put it is God has spoken, we must listen. We must obey God's word. That's something that comes out again and again through this chapter. Now, this is a historical account, a real event that that, that, that records for us God's dealing with a king, King Jeroboam, and also one of his prophets, a man of God from Judah. Now, as we read through this chapter, one thing that comes out is the justice of God, that God is a just God, and he does punish uh, disobedience to his word. 
But something else that really shines through this whole account is actually God's mercy. Because it's, it's, it's mercy that warns. And God sent a, a man of God to King Jeroboam to warn him. And it's mercy that calls to repent. And that's what God is doing in this chapter. And because God is abounding in mercy, that's why we've got this chapter recorded for us as a warning and as a, as a call to repentance. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. And so in the Bible, sometimes we have things written for our encouragement. Sometimes we have things that are written for our warning. And this chapter is written for our warning. But we have it because God is a loving God and a merciful God and a gracious God. And as we think about the events that are recorded here, and we're faced with God's justice, we must remember that it's because God loves us and He's a gracious and a merciful God, it's because of that that we've got this here. Because God wants us to turn, because He loves us. He doesn't want us to stay as we are. He doesn't want us to disobey His word. So He warns us so that we might uh, turn to Him. Now, it's helpful for us as, as we look at this chapter to know what's happening before because this hasn't taken place in a vacuum. Things have happened before the man of God, the prophet, got to Bethel. And so it's helpful for, it will be helpful for us if we just understand what's taking place. Now, the, the kingdom of, of Israel, if you like, there was one kingdom. It was a united nation. But because of the, the sins of Solomon, David's son, now the kingdom has been split, if you like, it's been divided. King uh, Rehoboam has become king of Judah. And King Jeroboam, two names very similar, I might get them muddled up, but King Jeroboam has now become the king of the northern territory, the northern kingdom. Now, the place where people worshipped was in the south, in Judah. That's where, that's where the people went to worship, that's where the temple was. But King Jeroboam, who was now the king in the north, he was worried that if the people keep going down to the south to worship God there, they're going to want to be under the uh, rule of Rehoboam again. They're going to want to go back to Judah. And King Jeroboam was worried that he would lose his throne, he'd lose his power, and he would be killed. So he comes up with his, with his master plan, and that is he's going to set up his own system of worship in the north. And he creates two uh, golden calves. He puts one in Dan, I think it is. And then another one, yes, in Dan. And, and then another one in Bethel. And he says to the people, don't go down to Judah, but worship here. And in the end of chapter 12, before we just get to our chapter, we see that he sets up priests, whoever he likes. He sets up his own altar. And what he's really done is he's gone against God's word and he has instituted his own system of worship. And he's done it to try and protect his own kingdom, to try to protect his, his uh, dynasty, if you like, for future generations. And it's as he's doing this that God, in his love and mercy, sends a prophet to him to warn him. Because God is a loving God, and as a loving God, he warns. And so throughout the chapter, the message is, we must obey God's word. And that's something, as I've already said, that shines it through again and again and again. And I want us to really see that point as we look at this chapter in, in three sections. We must obey God's word, firstly, and this is what we see first, 
Because God calls those who defy his word to repent. God calls people who go against his word to repent. We must obey God's word, secondly, because God judges those who reject his word. And that's what we see in the second part of our passage, verses 11 to 32. And then finally, we must obey God's word, but sadly, some people just will not listen. And that's what we see right at the end. Some people just will not listen. And so firstly then, we must obey God's word because he calls those who go against his word, who defy his word, to repent. And this is what we see in verses 1 and 10. And this is what we see God doing with King Jeroboam. He is really commanding him to repent. That word repent means to turn, to change his mind, to stop doing what he's doing, to turn back to faithful worship and to obedience to God's word. And this is what God does to King Jeroboam in verses 1 to 10. So the king has set up his false system of worship and we read in verse 1 that he's standing by this altar that he's set up and he's about to make an offering. And it's as he's doing this that we see that a prophet comes with a message. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. And then it says that he cried out with a message. And so God, in his love, because he's calling the king to repent, he sends a prophet. And this prophet interrupts his ceremony. Now, I'm sure that it was very solemn at this point as, as King Jeroboam is, is about to, in, to offer a sacrifice on the altar that he set up. And we see that there's this man of God, this prophet, this man with a message from God who interrupts it all. And he... He does so because God has got a message for the king. And so firstly, we see that God sends a prophet, and that's mercy. God could have left him as he was, but God warned, so he sent a prophet. Secondly, we see that that God warned by the message, and this is in verse 2. As God's calling him to repent, he sends a prophet, and the prophet's got something to say. And we see that the prophet pronounces judgment against the altar. He says there in verse 2, he's addressing the altar. He says, oh, altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David, and on you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places, and human bones will be burned on you. And so God sends a prophet, and this prophet's got a message. And what is the message? Well, it's a message that he addresses to the altar. And he says to the altar, oh, altar, altar, you are going to be torn apart And there's going to be a a king who is going to come and he's going to sacrifice these priests, these false priests. He's going to burn their bones on you. And that really means he's going to desecrate the altar. He's going to make it filthy. He's going to ruin the whole thing. And the reason why the prophet is speaking against the altar is because God's trying to make clear to King Jeroboam and those who are there that this is wrong. That this style of worship, this system that you've set up, this false system, is sin. And God is pronouncing his, his condemnation against it. That's what he's doing very clearly when the prophet's speaking to the altar. And so God sends a man of God. He's got a message. We also see that he warns the king by a sign. Uh, he, he's given a prophecy that uh, 280 years later, a king is going to come, Josiah, and he's going to burn the bones of the priests on the altar and that came that comes true in 2 kings 23 
But then he also says, here's a sign so you know this prophecy is going to come true. How do we know that Josiah is really going to come and do all of this? Well, this is how you know. Verses 3 and 5, he says the altar will be split, in, split apart. And it happens there. And then the, the altar is, 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 is split apart. And it says there in verse 3 that the ashes will be poured out. And that's exactly what happens in verse 5. So immediately he says this is a sign that this is going to happen. And it happens straight away. So God warned by the sign. And we also see that God warned by a miracle as well. And we see this in verses 4 and 6. The king is, I suppose, understandably annoyed at what's just taken place. He's set up his, his, uh, his altar. He's about to sacrifice. He's offering everybody's there. Now he's just been embarrassed by this, this prophet from Judah with a message saying this whole thing is wrong. And so what the king does is he stretches out his hand and he says, arrest that man. And all of a sudden, we read in verses 4 through to 6 that his hand is shriveled up and that he can't pull it back. It's frozen. It's paralyzed. And this is another mercy from God. It's God warning the king by this miracle. Now, the outstretched arm of the king was a symbol of his authority. When he stretched his arm out to arrest the, 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 the man of God, he's He's uh, displaying his power as king. And the fact that God froze it still so he couldn't draw it back, God was saying, in effect, your power is governed by me. Your power is nothing unless I give it to you. And so God demonstrated very clearly by the miracle that, that, that his power is only temporary and it, it's given to him by God. And without God, he can't do anything. Now, the king, having his hand shriveled and frozen up, as it was, he was, as we can understand, I think, afraid by that, made afraid by it, scared by it, worried by it. And so he pleads to the prophet and he says, please intercede for me. Now he wants the prophet's help. And he says to the prophet, please pray to God that he will heal me. And what God does is he graciously heals his hand. And we see that in verse 6, that his hand is restored. And so God warned the, prof the, the king and all the people there by the prophet that he sent. He warned him by the message that he said. He warned him by the sign of the altar. And he warned him by the miracle that took place with the withering of his hand and then the healing of it straight away. And the reason that God was warning the king in such a, a clear way is because God calls those who defy his word to repent, to turn from it. And that's exactly what he's doing to the king of, of Israel. He's, he's gone against his word. He set up his own system of worship, and God has sent a prophet to warn him. He's saying, look, you need to turn from this. You'd better stop it. And just as God warned by his word then, so God warns today. God hasn't changed, and God as a merciful God was warning the king then, if you defy my word, you will be judged. And God does the same today. God hasn't changed. It says in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it, said, but it, says now, it says that God commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness. And so we see in this chapter that God is, is warning the king this is going to happen and he's doing it because he wants the king to turn, turn back to him, turn back to faithfulness, turn back to his word. And God does the same thing today. He warns us by, by his word, the Bible. He warns us that there's a coming judgment. He warns us 
that there is a penalty for sin, that there is a hell. He, he calls us to turn. He calls us to repent. He, he, he sent prophets. He sent, he sent today. He sends preachers. Greatest of all, he's, he sent his son. He sent his son who, who came and proclaimed repentance. And he preached the gospel. And often he warns by providence as well, doesn't he? Sometimes there's things that happen in our life, like the things that happen to the king, and they're a clear warning. Sometimes things happen to us, and it's God saying, you need to turn, you need to repent. Sometimes God uses circumstances in our lives as a, as a, as a, as a warning signal, and God does that. God warns, just like he warns the king, he warns us. And he warns us because he loves us and he calls us to repent. Now, if, if you're here this morning and you're like King Jeroboam and, 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 and if you are currently uh, going against God's word, you're, 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 you're rejecting what he has said. You're in rebellion like Jeroboam was. Well, if that's you this morning, then God calls you to repent just like he did Jeroboam. A loving God calls people to turn from their sin. A loving God warns that this will happen if you don't turn. And that's what God did with Jeroboam, and that's what he does with us. So you might ask, well, what would happen? What would happen if I don't turn? If I don't turn from my sin and, and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what would happen? Well, God said to Jeroboam that, that you know, the altar will be turned down, uh, sorry, uh, pulled down, that priests will be sacrificed there. But what does God say to us? Well, God says if, if we don't turn, that we face him at the judgment. That, that we have to give an account for the way that we've lived. And the Bible says if we die in our sins, we will go to hell. Now, why does God say these things in his words, the Bible? Well, it's because he's calling us to turn. He's a loving God, and a loving God warns, just as he warned Jeroboam, who was going against his words. So he warns today, turn and live. And so we must obey God's word, because God calls those who go against it to repent, to turn, to turn back to him. And we must obey God's word, secondly, because God judges those who reject his word. And that's what we see next. God warns, but he also judges. He judges. And this is what we see, secondly, in verses 11 to 32. Now, this part of the, of the chapter, for many people, is quite strange. And I suppose in some ways, it is. But it's a very important part of the passage. And there's an important lesson to be learned by it. And this is the section from verse 11 to 32. This is the, the part of the chapter where, where the prophet refuses to eat and drink with the king and he goes on his way. And then he is resting underneath a tree on his way back to Judah. And this old prophet from Bethel comes to the, the, the man of God from Judah and he lies to him and he brings him back to his house making the man of God from Judah disobey God's word. And because of that, the, the man of God from Judah is judged and killed by a lion on the way home. Now, the reason why this is here in this chapter is not because it's just a bit of interesting history. It's something that's unusual and it's interesting for us to think about. But it's placed here as an object lesson for the king and the people at the time, but also for us as well. It's an object lesson so that the king, Jeroboam, could see this is what happens to those 
who reject my word. It's a, it's a, it's a picture painted very vividly, if you like, so that God's message would be clear. And so we see here that God judges those who reject his word. Even, here we have even someone who was a prophet called a man of God. And so let's look at this then. We see, firstly, this prophet had a command. He had a command. What was the command? Well, he speaks about it in verse 7 to 10. And he also refers to it in verse 16 and 17. And the command was, don't return to Bethel. Don't eat and drink there. Don't return the way that you came, but go back another way. And essentially, head straight back to Judah. He wasn't to eat and drink in Bethel. He wasn't to return there. And he was to go back home a different way. Now, one of the reasons we can guess that he wasn't to eat and drink in Judah was it was a sign, the fact that he refused to eat and drink there was a, a sign of God's judgment, that God had, had, had judged them, and that the fact that he wasn't going to eat and drink there was, was, was uh, making that very clear. If you eat and drink, it's a sign of fellowship. It's a sign of, of partnership, if you like, communion. And so the, Bethel, the, the fact that the prophet refused to do that, he's saying, I want nothing to do with this. God's judgment is on you. I won't even eat and drink in Bethel. And so that's why he was commanded not to eat and drink there. And he was commanded not to return the way he came and not to go back to Bethel. This was the command. Sadly, he disobeyed the command. Now what's interesting is, when the king said to the prophet, initially, when, the, when he said to the man of God, come back to, my, to me and, and I will give you a meal and give you a gift, the, the, the man of God from Judah, he said, no, God has commanded me not to eat and drink here. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm going to go back. And so he, he, he's obedient to God's word when it comes to the king. But then he disobeys when it comes to this old prophet. Now, we have to feel sorry for this man of God from Judah because the old prophet lied to him. The old prophet heard about the miracle that had taken place, the message that he had, that he had pronounced. He was told by his sons. And so the old prophet has an idea and he says, I'm going to bring him back to my house and give him a meal. Now he finds him on the way. We read that the man of God was uh, sitting by a tree resting. And so the old prophet says, come back to my house and eat and drink with me. The man of God says, I can't. The Lord has told me not to. And then the old prophet says this. He says, but I have been told by an angel of the Lord that you should come back to my house and eat. And then it says in brackets in the translation here, that the prophet lied to him. And so the, 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 the man of God disobeys God's word, which he had clearly, and he obeyed the word of, of the prophet and went back to the, the old man's house in Bethel and ate and drank. Now, before we move on to what God did as a result of that, there's two brief lessons we need to just notice here as we pass. Firstly, that if, if, if this man of God was not sitting under the tree in Bethel on his way home, if he had gone straight back to Judah, this would never have happened. I'm told, as I read through different commentaries, that, that it was only six miles from Bethel to Judah. He could have gone straight back and none of this would have happened but he decided to rest under a tree. And I think there's a, there's a picture there for us to learn from, and that is don't linger where there is a temptation to sin. This is what this man of God was doing. He, he should have gone straight back to where it was safe, but rather he thought he'd hang around in dangerous territory for a while. 
And as Christians, that's something for us to learn from, isn't it? Don't linger where there's temptation to sin. But there's another lesson here, and it's to do with what the old prophet said. The old prophet lied to the man of God, and the man of God believed him. But there's a warning there, isn't there? Not to trust what other people say when we've got a clear message from the Word of God. This man of God had a clear message from the Lord, and so he had no right to obey what this uh, man, this, this prophet, old prophet said because he had a clear word from God which, which hadn't been revoked, hadn't been changed. So there's a warning there for us not to just obey false prophets but to stand upon the unchanging word of God. And if this man of God from Judah would have done that, then this story wouldn't have been such a tragedy. But the sad fact is that the history records for us that is not what he did. But instead, he rejected the word of God. He disobeyed it. And as a result, we see next that he was judged. Judged by God. And it's, we see this in verse 21 to 25. As they were eating in the, in the old prophet's house there in Bethel, the, the, the old prophet gets a message. And he stands up. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. And this is what it says in verse 20. It says, while they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who brought him back. And this is what it says. This is what the Lord says to you. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat and drink. And this is, this is the judgment. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your father's. He's saying, because of that, your body is not going to be buried in the tomb of your fathers. Now, God doesn't give him all the details, but we see very shortly, a few verses after, what God means by that. Because as this man of God from Judah, the one that God sent with a message for the king, the King Jeroboam, as he's traveling back, we see that he's killed by a lion on his way home. And we, we notice that the lion did not eat the man. He did not tear him to shreds, and he didn't kill the donkey, and the donkey did not run away. And so all of this was a clear sign that this was of God. It was God that caused the lion to kill the prophet. God put the lion there because God, God was judging the prophet. We could say God killed the prophet. That's what he did. God killed the prophet. That was God's judgment on him. He sent a lion, and it killed him, and he didn't get home. He, never mind being buried with his fathers, he didn't even get back to his own house. God killed the prophet. Now, we must not miss that. The temptation is to just cover over that and say, well, the lion was there, perhaps by chance. God really had nothing to do with it. That's not true. God killed the prophet. Now, we must highlight here that this is a temporal judgment, meaning that, it's, that God judged him uh, here and now, I don't think we should read into this that God judged him eternally. I don't think we, we have uh, the right to say that he was then lost forever in hell. I don't think that we can go that far. But there is certainly a temporal judgment on this man of God for disobeying God's word. Now, the application here is, 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 is obvious, isn't it? Here's something for us to learn from. It's an object lesson. Now, here is a challenge for, for believers, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We must understand that this man again and again is referred to as a man of God. 
He's not like the old apostate prophet from Bethel. He was faithful. Everything that he said came true. He was a man of God. And for as long as he was faithful, everything was well. But when he rejected the word of God, God judged him. Now, there's something that we must take from this as believers. And that is that God takes our obedience very seriously. That it's not about being faithful in the past. It's not about starting well. It's about ending well. And we must remain faithful. And we must be careful as Christians to think that our holiness isn't important. And that it doesn't really matter if we obey God's word. I think here there is a a very clear warning for those who, who know the Lord. Now that is not to say that if we fall into sin that we're going to lose our salvation. That is not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible does warn us that God does punish disobedience. He does chastise us. Now God killed this prophet. And God does punish disobedience even in the lives of his children. Why does he do that? He does it because he loves us and he wants us to repent and turn and be faithful. Now that is not saying that, 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 that if you believe in Christ and you sin, you'll go to hell. That's not what the Bible says. But there is a clear warning here. If you're a believer and you think it doesn't matter how you live, the Bible says it, 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 that is not true. God demands faithfulness. He demands obedience. God killed the prophet, the man of God. And so we have to take the warning here. But there's a warning here, not just for believers, but for everybody. Because God does judge those who reject his word and do not repent. That's the clear message through this chapter. God judges those who reject his word and do not turn, do not repent, and believe in Christ for forgiveness. And so we must obey God's word. Because God calls those who disobey it to repent. We must obey God's word because God judges those who reject his word. And finally, we must obey God's word. But sadly, some people just will not listen. Some people just will not listen. And this is what we see with King Jeroboam, isn't it? In verses 33 to 34, right at the end of the passage, we see that after all of this, still the king did not listen. He refused to turn from his sin and he did the same as he did before. In verse 33, it begins by saying, after this, it says here in the NIV, even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Now, verse 33 says, even after this, that word this is singular. And what's it pointing to? Well, I think it's rather than pointing to everything, which it, it can be, I, th- I think specifically it's speaking about the thing that happened to the prophet. Even after this, even after God killed the man of God, King Jeroboam did not turn. He saw the miracles. He saw the altar split in two. His hand was healed. He saw the, the man of God from Judah was killed by a lion because he rejected God's word. And then those words in verse 33 Even after this, King Jeroboam did not turn from his sin. Not only that, but he went back to idolatry and he got more priests, whoever he chose, and whom he consecrated for the high places. He went back to it and he increased in his sin. And then we see the result of this. Verse 34, we see that God judged his house. 
He says, this was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. The sad fact is, as we see from Jeroboam, that even though God warns and he warns, he warns through his word, he warns through things that happen in our life, he warns through Christians, he warns and he warns and he warns, and yet some people just will not listen. And that was what was true of King Jeroboam. And God judged his house, and this is what we read about that in, in chapter 15. It says this, verse 29. As soon as he had begun to reign, speaking about one of the other kings, he killed Jeroboam's whole family. He did not leave Jeroboam anyone that breathed, but destroyed them all, according to the word of the Lord given through the servant Ahijah the Shilonite. The Shilonite. Because of the sins Jeroboam had committed, and had caused Israel to commit. And because he provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger. And so God's word came true. King Jeroboam was judged. His whole family was, was wiped out. There was no dynasty. And the, the, the irony of the whole thing is this. King Jeroboam went against God's word. Because he wanted to establish his own kingdom. He wanted to secure his kingdom for his family that came after him. And the irony of it all is actually the thing that he thought would secure his crown was what actually ruined him. It was this sin that actually destroyed his family and took away his kingdom. He thought in rejecting God's word, I'll be secure. But it was actually in rejecting God's word that he was ruined. And that's the irony of the whole thing. And the reason why this is recorded for us is so that we might learn from Jeroboam. The fact is some people just will not listen. And how sad it would be if that was true of you. If you are one of those people that just put your fingers in your ears every time God warns and you never listen and one day you'll be in hell forever, never listening, never obeying, never turning, never repenting, how sad that would be. But the fact is that people do that. Some people just will not listen. Is that you today? You're here at church but you're not listening. You've never repented of your sin. You've never put your trust in Christ. And you'll stay like that and you'll die like that and you'll go to hell like that. Is that you? Well, the point that this is, the reason why this is here is that it might not be you. But that you might turn, that you might repent, that you might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't be like Jeroboam, but repent and believe in Christ. That's why he came, so that we might be forgiven for our sins and be saved. Well, what do we learn from this chapter well, we learn that we must obey God's word. We must obey God's word. Why? Because God calls those who defy his word to repent, to turn. God sent a man of God to, Jero to Jeroboam for that point. We must obey God's word because God judges those who reject his word. God judged the prophet for his disobedience. And we must obey God's word, but the sad fact is that some people just will not listen. Well, have you defied the word of the Lord? The reality is every single person in this room has at some point. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What must you do? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you're a Christian this morning and you know you've been turning against God's word, you've not been obedient, then take comfort in what God says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Turn to Jesus uh, trust in him, repent, and, and walk with the Lord again. And if you're not a believer this morning, and you know this is what you've been doing, well, do it no more. 
Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 